the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. I am very excited to have you on board as we wrap up this series on artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And today we get super practical. Yes, we've talked about transhumanism. We've talked about singularity. We've talked about agency, about the ethics of relational AI. What happens if you have an AI partner that is better than your real life partner? We've got all over the place. Now we're getting practical. Yeah, we touch on a few metaphysical issues, but Kenny Jang joins us to give us a primer on the untapped potential most leaders are missing in church technology, the ideal tech stack for average-sized churches, and the upside and the downside of using AI in your work. So we're going to get practical today. Today's episode is brought to you by The Great Christmas Invite. You can save 50% on digital and physical assets you'll probably already buy for your church this Christmas season with The Great Christmas Invite. Visit outreach.com slash great Christmas invite to learn more. Well, I'm excited to have Kenny Jang on the podcast. He is the editor-in-chief at churchtechtoday.com and founder of AIforchurchleaders.com. He is a certified story brand guide and founder of Big Click Syndicate. He also helps Christian leaders drive engagement with their right audiences. He has served as church online pastor at one of Outreach Magazine's fastest growing churches in America. He holds an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary, an MBA from Columbia Business School, and a BA from Duke University. The dude is smart, and it's great to have Kenny on the podcast. Well, believe it or not, before we jump into today's episode, Christmas is right around the corner, and I want to let you know about an early Christmas present from Outreach Media Group and Glue, who are giving away up to $5 million in physical and digital outreach assets. It's called the Great Christmas Invite, and if you're as excited to spread the joy and message of Jesus as most church leaders are, you'll want to take a minute to learn more. With the Great Christmas Invite, your church can save 50% on digital and physical assets you'll probably already buy. We're talking things like advent kits, banners, and postcards, and up to 50% off many other Christmas resources. And when you sign up, you'll also get access to Glue's unlimited free texting plan for churches. With a over 90% open rate, texting is perfect for communicating with an influx of Christmas people. Between the discounted assets and free texting, it's kind of like a Christmas gift for your church. So you can go to outreach.com slash great Christmas invite to learn more. Sign up for it today. That's outreach.com slash great Christmas invite. Be part of something extraordinary this Christmas season. And now as we wrap up our series on AI, here's my conversation with Kenny Jang. Kenny, it's good to have you on the podcast. Finally. It's awesome to be here. It's going to be fun today, Carrie. Yeah, it's going to be great. So this has been long overdue. You have made a splash in sort of the church tech space. I mean, you've done a lot of really interesting things with your life. Um, kind of a self-invented role for leaders. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's a little, it's one of those things where you say like, hey, my mom has no idea what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was talking to Sharon McMahon, Sharon says so, and we had that same conversation. It was like, if, if apparently, I've heard this, if you have no easy job description, like when you're at a party and you have to explain to people what they do and you have to go three rounds before people even begin to understand what you do, 
that's a sign that you're probably AI proof or at least recession proof. So I can never explain adequately what I do. People are like, well, how does that work? It's like, what? Uh, and then I just say author, speaker. They're like, oh, okay, all right. But that's not the bulk of what I do. So anyway, yeah. How, do, how would you describe what you do to people? Um, not what you I do think- to people, but how would you describe what you do to people? <laughs> I, Kenny? I, I put a lot of stress and cause people problems. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> I guess one way to look at it is I am an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And at the core of all entrepreneurs really is you're just on, you're like a, hunting dog for problems mm-hmm. and then you try to figure out solutions for them. And yeah. if you look at everything that I've done, um, you see that with the lens of typically communications and marketing. So I've worked in an ad agency, I've worked in PR, I've worked in brand marketing, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so if you apply that lens to problem solving, then a lot of the things that are on my LinkedIn resume make sense all of a sudden. Yeah, you've been a worked at a church too, right? Just one church or multiple churches, or um, so. Yeah, I, I, so I have I have a MBA, which is a marketplace background, right? And so mm-hmm. I was in the marketplace, and I was one of those that was called to seminary late in life, and then from there, I did a little stint in um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, in their Center for Faith and Work, their entrepreneurship initiative. And then I also worked at Liquid Church in New Jersey as their pastor of innovation, as well as the church on the campus, right? I, took I over forgot you worked at Redeemer. What, what years yes. was that? Or that? That so. was, uh, wow, when, when was that? 2011, 2010? It was an exciting mm-hmm. time back then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm still sad about Tim Keller's passing. I mean, absolutely. as much as it was absolutely. expected, what a, what a loss to this generation. So, and then uh, entrepreneurial genes, do they run in your family? No, my dad's a doctor. My uh, mom is a house engineer, as they used to call him. The house what, wife, what is a house, house engineer? Okay. That's what, there was someone, someone early on introduced my mom as that. I'm like, she's just mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like domestic engineer kind of thing? Yes, that yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Uh, it, no, my, my dad was a doctor, which is just very regimented, right? It's not, there's no entrepreneurial aspects about it. Um, but I, I, honestly, it was um, my primary education. I had a lot of mentors and a lot of creative things along my educational route that allowed me to you know, flourish in this capacity. So hmm. it's been hmm. fun. So I love your voice in the church. You're also part of the Art of Leadership Academy. I'm so grateful for everything yes. that you do there. Church leaders are not the earliest adopters. Can we just say that? Can we just be honest? Let's have a family conversation. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that you think about is that, you know, they look, there's stuff that they embrace, right? And we've seen it over the last couple of years. Like finally there's embracing online streaming and social media for community outreach. They there there is this push, right? Like they we see that happening. But I, on my side, you're seeing, you know, the friction on marketing automation and using technology and all that kind of stuff. And I think at the, at the bottom line, it is basically when you make an intersection of faith and tech, um, you find that the capacity for growth, right. And is there, but it also involves a reluctance to change. So you have growth mm. and change at the same time. And that, I think that's literally what we're seeing in the church right now, as we speak in, the, in today's era. 
Yeah. Do you have any theories? And, and I mean, I say that with the greatest affection. I know you love serving church leaders. I love serving church leaders. We love serving marketplace leaders, the whole deal. But I'm always a little bit perplexed. I mean, maybe I'm reading history wrong, but there was a season where the church, and Erwin McManus would make this argument, was the leader in technology, the leader in science, the leader in the arts. I mean, you look at all of the Christian art, Christianity really advanced art for many, many centuries. And now we seem to have gotten into this very hesitant position where we're afraid of change and almost see it as the enemy. Uh, I just, I think that's important to acknowledge, but do you have any further thoughts on that or why that is? Yeah, for me, and again, I think I saw it going through seminary and pre and post, is I think the role of the pastor, and it starts with the pastor, right? Culture is top down in any mm. organization. The role of the pastor is set up where it's misaligned, I think, with what the church needs in today's culture and environment. Meaning the role of the pastor, what people go into training for pastorship is not to be a leader of an organization, but literally just to be a herald of the gospel. And that that one narrow specialty is the only thread that they are, you know, hammering to death until they get to the point where they're, they're in front of a flock. And I think there's a mismatch in expectations and framing of what that role is today. Mm. You know, that's a really good point because my background, like that was not my intended plan of life to go into ministry and lead a church for two decades. And I had legal training before that. You come at it with an MBA. Yeah, very And similar. you're right. But I mean, the kinds of people who want to go to seminary are not necessary. I felt called into it. It was sort of like an obligation, but it's not like a natural entrepreneurial early adopter track. I think that's, right. that's really, really fair. Um, and then aspirationally, right? Like even recruiting yeah. for seminaries and church planting organizations, et cetera, they just highlight the pastor in the pulpit, right? Mm-hmm. That is the mm-hmm. sexy picture of a thriving church. Right. And I think that that's where we, we, I think you, I, everyone in our communities need to start to rethink that and help shape that conversation as to what do we want out of a leader of our faith communities? How would we rethink that? Like what? If you're creating the ideal job description for a pastor in the mid-21st century, we're almost getting there, right? We're already two and a half decades almost into this. So uh, we're well into it. What what would you include as characteristics and attributes? Yeah, I, I, it's probably more emphasis on how to manage relationships and people versus how to manage pages of a Bible, right? Mm. Like that to me is like... Mm. It all comes down to management of teams, management of your congregation, managing pastoral, managing partnerships outside of your church building with other constituents and stakeholders in your community. It's all, it, I mean, right? It, life is about relationships. And mm-hmm. that's the part that I think is missing in leadership development pipelines that we see in churches and, you know, all this, all the stuff that we write about. Yeah, I think that's true. And increasingly, at least a comfort with technology. I mean, I'm old enough that I've had to learn all this in my adult life. Um, And I wasn't the kid. I mean, computer labs when I was in early high school still had punch cards. Like that's how old I am, Kenny. Okay. And I looked at that in like the 80s and I was like, oh, 
Like that looks boring. And I had friends who did it, but they were sort of off in the corner and they never talked about it. When they did, they couldn't explain it. And then of course, by the time I got to law school, computers were pretty ubiquitous. Uh, I got my first computer actually in law school. It was one of our first purchases after we got married. They were crazy expensive back then. Yes. And they barely did anything. But yeah, it's been a learned skill. Where have you seen leaders in the church today, or even in small businesses, enthusiastically embrace technology? And where are you seeing the pushback? So where are they embracing it? Where are you seeing pushback? Um, so I think there's a couple different categories, right? So yeah. um, COVID forced everyone into a position where they're embracing some of the digital aspects of things because without digital, they were invisible, right? Like at mm-hmm. the beginning of COVID, um, one of the denominational regional organizations came to us and said, hey, we have over 100 churches in our region that literally do not have a website, right? This was at the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. And so in they had two, <laughs> yes, this, and so they had two problems, Carrie. It's not just the uh, website, website and giving, like they didn't have online giving either, right? If, if you didn't have a website and technology, you didn't, you, you depended on a physical offering plate. Mm. And that was a crisis point for many, many churches. And so people were forced into it. So like, I think now people have embraced you know, again, the streaming, the social, they understand now that that is a way to get to the people. Now, when I used to be a church online pastor, we were shunned. I mean, the, my, me and my peers, we were like, there's the pastor, there's a whole hierarchy, right? And at the bottom is the youth pastor who has a heartbeat and you can pay them in pizza. And then the church online pastors below that, right? And so, <laughs> so that was the hierarchy of church jobs right? and prestige. I, okay. I, my daily living when I was a church online pastor was arguing with people, like arguing with strangers who just met me and know that I'm a church online pastor and say, hey, you're not real. Like you're the people you pastor aren't real. And if they are, they're like 50 year olds in their basement of the parents in their underwear, right? Like it's like, they're not real. And so today it's gone. It's different, right? Today I say it's revenge of the nerds. Digital is back. And so online streaming, social media, all this digital stuff is something that people have embraced. Now, I don't know if it's enthusiastic still after COVID. That's a whole other dis- dis- um, discussion. Now, on the pushback side, I think they're the part that is a really issue is like automation and you know moving stuff out of paper into fully digital, um, cloud-based collaborative sharing, anything that's done with teams. And God forbid we bring up things like VR, AR, Metaverse, AI. Those that alphabet soup is just you know that's that scares everybody, right? So that's the part that I'm like, hmm, we need to do some work there. Yeah, you know, every once in a while you get a um, reminder. I was hanging out with our good mutual friend Rich Birch last week, yes, and we were out on the water just hanging out, catching up, and. Uh, he mentioned he talked to a church leader who was uh, struggling with adopting to Google Docs. It's like nobody uses Google Docs. And I'm like, gosh, like I, I was laughing with Rich because I said, you know, I remember this conversation. It was 2007. We were launching Connexus. He was on my team at the time. And the big issue was, do we get a server, like a big mainframe computer yep. that you stick away in a room and have special cooling and air conditioning because they generate so much heat for our database? Do we set all that up and like an intranet and all that stuff? Or Google Docs was almost in beta at the time. And so was Gmail back in 2007. And he and I, and I really relied on Rich for this, 
just decided we were going to become a cloud-based church back in 2007. Now, that felt controversial, radical back in 07, but the fact that 16 years later, people are still having that conversation is a little shocking. And by the way, that was a good call. That was a really good call. Because I was, you know, okay, this is crazy. Because uh, you work with this every day, but just bounce off me. Go back, time travel back to 2007. Here was my biggest concern. I was concerned about security because I said, you know, we're going to upload the data of a thousand yeah. at the time people who were joining us and more down the road. What if that gets hacked? And then finally, I had the realization that, oh, you know what? We're probably way less secure sitting in a box in a room in an office, you know, in our headquarters than uh, Google's got way more incentive to uh, securitize this than, than I do and the means to do it. So anyway, we were a cloud-based church from the beginning. But that kind of resistance is still there, right? What else are you seeing Absolutely. in the Absolutely. field? I mean, back, think of back in the 2007, we're going to teleport back there. Remember online transactions, buying stuff online was just such a scary thing. Like you're, you're oh. such a risky guy, Carrie, for buying. You're going to buy something online from Amazon? You're going to give them your credit card information? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet, you know, back in the day when people were still using, remember those chargers? You'd put your credit card in this machine like this. It's not even a machine. And then they'd take the carbons. I mean, that was a yeah. much bigger fraud thing where people would just take their chip and then use your credit card, right, physically. But that was a big thing for us. We went to digital giving back in 2013. I led that. I was still the lead pastor. And there were, you know, security concerns. But in a single year, we went from 30% online donations to 70% online donations. And that was a wow. decade ago. But again, a lot of churches still aren't there. So anything else about resistance to change that um, you're seeing? I, I think it comes down to, and, and you talk about this too, is like, it's not about like the actual protocols or benefits or pricing most times, it literally is the mindset of the leadership, right? And so many times uh, I'll hear um, that, you know, all these young churches do it and all these young, like there's this, there's this notion, this generalization that the young people are the ones that understand all this. And yet I don't see that necessarily lining up all the time Mm -hmm. and that you can have younger leaders that are just stuck Right. And they're not in a growth mindset, um, but the ones that are older or any other type of leader that is growth mindset are the ones that are looking for incremental changes, incremental improvements. I just did a little bit of fact checking. So Google Docs was released for the first time March 9th, 2006. So it literally was Mm. about 18 months after it was released and nobody was using it. Everyone was using Microsoft Word that kind of stuff. So it was like, well, let's try. And it wasn't very good at the beginning, but it got better. Um, Let's do a report card. So think about different broad categories of technological adaptation from, uh, you know, you mentioned websites to social media accounts, to online streaming, to digital giving, to the adoption of AI, which we're going to get into, into um, the workflow of organizations. Um, where do you see the church, capital C Church, doing well, middling, and poorly? And don't be polite. Don't be afraid to give us an F. If we deserve an F, I probably still get an F in some areas, uh, you know, and let's not bell curve up. So where are we sitting on adoption? Um, let's see. Doing well. Uh, again, I think you'll find it's mixed, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you can say that they're doing well in the digital space, but they really aren't at times. 
Um, I think email and some of those online cloud collaboration tools, they are starting to use it. That's what you're seeing pervasively. Um, there is software in certain ministry fronts in particular, right? So um, worship presentation software, right? Do you remember when there's this brouhaha against, you know, projection of lyrics on screens versus printed bulletins and hymns, et cetera? Actually, That's I do. No we were one of the first churches to get a projector back in 2003. Yes. And and it replaced the 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 projector replaced the projector. If you remember the projector with like <laughs> yeah. acetates, and like could you find a guy that didn't have his thumb on the lyric while you were trying to sing it? Yeah. So uh, was there a lot of pushback when that happened? Was there you know it was interesting. There was a little bit, but I mean we literally had hymn books two years earlier, and then we moved into an elementary school. And you know my theory of change is if you're going to change something change everything. If you're going to cause an explosion, make it a big explosion. That doesn't always work. But because we got rid of the buildings, we were in this school and all mm. of a sudden you could change the technology. It's like, well, hymn books don't really work here. So let's use a projector. And then the acetate projector quickly, as soon as it became affordable, we like, okay, let's go to a computer projector. And then I think it was PowerPoint at the beginning. It was awful. Like just ugly with like nature backgrounds and stuff like that, but it got a lot better quickly. But yeah, there was pushback, but you know what? It's like Seth Godin. Okay. This is not for everyone. This isn't for you. We didn't make this for you, but there are people that we made this for that are going to love it. And yeah, but we took, took a lot of criticism, especially in the early 2000s when it became ubiquitous, everyone just looked at us and rolled their eyes. And that doesn't say anybody listening to this under 40 right now is going, that's ridiculous, but it wasn't ridiculous back then. It wasn't ridiculous back then. If you tracked my activities back then, um, my PowerPoint usage probably peaked always at Saturday night before services because the pastor would give me this stuff Saturday night to redo the slides. And so, or uh, Sunday morning, like early Sunday morning, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, worship okay. presentation. Worship presentation, mm -hmm. pro presenter, which has become very advanced, planning center. I don't know anybody who's not on planning center or cloud-based databases, which again was a yeah. decision for us back in 07. Pretty much everybody's there. Nobody's doing their own databases. So we get an A yeah. in that. Mm -hmm. And I would say the usage of your church management software, I think is in the middle, middling category, right? So oh, people have okay. them installed. People have email systems installed, but are they using them? Not even to the fullest extent. Are they even using them to 50% of what their capabilities really are? Or are they really running reports? Are they really doing any email automation? Um, those are the things. Giving platforms, same thing. I think they have adoption is very doing very well in terms of adoption at this point. But in the behavior and usage of it, I would say it's middling. Um, and then I would say in the poor, poor usage category, it really is things like texting, which still, for some reason, I don't mm. understand why texting is getting uh, so much friction from usage where email open rates are 30%, 35, 40%, texting open rates are 90%. Why, why wouldn't you want to be heard majority of the mm. time? I always say when I'm coaching teams um, that I say, this is going to be the most depressing, you know, session. Because we're going to, you know, do your email reports and see that the majority of your work is wasted. You have how many hundred, say you have a thousand people you email to, the majority of people that you actually spent the time writing them emails to, they actually never even look at it. It's not even they read it and threw it away. They, it was all wasted. Your majority of your efforts are wasted. Um, and texting is 90% open rates. And so 
I would say, uh, you know, church tech in general, I would say A for effort, C for execution, and maybe F in that future tech category that, you know, we, we are seeing come, come down the pipe. Mm. No, that's fair. We may have to repeat a class or two. I'd like you to, because I think, I think you know, I get that. Like I have um, a fairly recent iMac I'm recording this on. I've got a brand new iPad. I've got the latest iPhone. I've got the latest Apple Watch, blah, blah, blah. But I am convinced I'm using 10 to 15% max of its power. So I think that's human nature, right? How do we familiarize ourselves with this? How does it become less mysterious? Uh, What do we do so I can, quote, master it? And now I understand it. But you're leaving 90% of the functionality to the side. So if you can, you know, give listeners, leaders an idea, what would that database do for them? And we're not talking about like the platinum premium mega church version. We're talking about average software for average churches and leaders, or even, you know, a base subscription to MailChimp. What, yeah. what will that stuff do for leaders that's maybe just sitting on the sidelines, untapped potential? Yeah, I, I'll give you just a real live example. Sure, I'm sure. going to a church right now that just re, restarted its men's ministry. And so okay. they had a Saturday morning breakfast for men, brought them all in. And part of the you know table times were brainstorming, you know, what do the men want? How can we serve you? You know, what are the activities? All that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, overwhelmingly, the guys that got up and offered the suggestions they wanted to connect with other guys, other guys mm. with different affinities, different locations, right? Like based on all these different things. Typically, the churches don't use their database well to make those connections. And, um, you know, they, they put us into um, a database, right? Their, plant, their, their church center online. And so now everyone's starting to populate their profiles. And now you're making peer-to-peer connections without having go to no connections pastor involved, no staff member involved, like finding out someone's actually in my town, finding out that someone actually likes to golf, you know, that kind of thing. You can find somebody who's like really nerding out on them, mowing their lawn, Carrie, and right by your, <laughs> in your neighborhood. Perhaps, so perhaps. You'd, you'd be able to do that, right? So that those are the types of things that it's built into the system. But you got to encourage the use of it and kind of lead them and, and paint, paint the picture for how can your congregation use the technology so that it, again, it comes down to relationships so that they can make yeah. more connections with each other and you get out of the way. So it's business in business terms, that's CRM, right? Your yes. client relationship manager, whatever that stands yeah. for. But basically, if you're a salesperson, you make notes on everybody, you upload the data, and you kind of open the file. And we know, oh, Kenny loves this. He's a yes. certified story brand person. He's got a couple of Facebook groups on communications, AI, and beyond that. So that is there. So what you're saying, though, what I think you're saying is, the database can then go and start connecting people with similar interests if you capture that data without a yeah. lot of human intervention. Like, take that a level further. What else can it do? Um, and, and just that side note on that thing is, think about it. That's the that's the original Facebook. That's the original yeah. church directory. The printed church directory that we used to have is, mm-hmm. has been lost amidst all this technology. And that's just one thing that you can bring back. Um, I think there's other things that a church leader can do with uh, a church management software. Like um, I helped a church recently. They were looking at 
they're volunteers, right? So volunteerism is down. Um, and there's many reasons why some people say the boomers are not coming back and they were the ones who were just the, you know, the, the ones that always signed up for things and it's hard to recruit. And so we put into, um, a spreadsheet, um, all the roles across all the different departments and the volunteers that they had. And then we, we used AI to figure out a schedule for the next couple of months. We gave it some good rules. One of them was. Uh, not that you would ever find this manually in any church in, in North America, but one of the rules was do not schedule someone for more than three weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's great. Let's try to be healthy. Um, I, when it's done on a manual basis, if I get you as a volunteer carry, you're mine for three years, five years, every single mm-hmm. Sunday, nonstop, right? And so here we, are, we put it into the system and we found four specific Sundays in the next 90 days where there were specific roles that were missing which means we can now figure out strategically how to recruit for those specific roles versus um, a church I went to recently to visit. They had a all-out recruiting push. Hey, just sign up for one of these. And they had a slide with 42 different lines on it, Carrie. I could not read it from the, pul- the, from the seat. They were just doing, hey, we just need more volunteers. We need 100 more volunteers. We need 100 more volunteers. Imagine you do that campaign at the end of it, you still have those missing slots, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're able to be a lot more strategic in figuring out who you actually have to go after. And, and then another one is you can then look at your database and say, who's volunteered on the schedule the last two years more than 10 times? And then who has not been scheduled in the last quarter? It's easier to go back to those that, that you know, to recall volunteers than to recruit new volunteers, right? With new volunteers, you don't need to do a safety check. You don't need to do training. You don't need to worry about where they, right? Either they know the culture. And so those are just simple things that you could do with the church management software. You have the, you have the ability to run those reports right now, but churches just aren't there yet. So that's fascinating. So what you're saying, just to clarify, with CMS, church management software, and we're talking about getting the standard package with a wide variety of, of CMSs that are out there. This yeah. is not integrating chat GPT, having a prompt engineer on staff. This is just built-in capabilities in yeah. most church management software today at the base level. I mean, all, every software package is a little bit different, but yes, you, sure. can run, yeah. you can run reports on schedules. You could run reports on giving. Giving is another category yeah. that the XP usually really... Um, doesn't take full advantage of, right? So one way to look at giving is to run a report that says, hey, who's been giving regularly in 2022 last year? And then whose giving has dropped, right? Right. Or has disappeared. Now, to me, the XP is going to look at that and say, hey, that's a revenue opportunity for the Mm -hmm. offering plate. But the pastoral side of me says, wait, there might be a pastoral issue there. So either... You well, if either you preached something and you pissed them off, right? mm-hmm. they stop mm-hmm. giving, or there's some other incident that might have happened yeah, that you maybe unemployment or, or illness or yes, that might be yeah. the other thing. There might be a life thing that's happening. So then, right. can you go to the small group leader? Can you go to their volunteer team leader? Can you do something to actually make that connection to just check in on them? Those are reports that, like, I think could be very, very valuable in the health of a community, don't you? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, we used to subscribe because our software didn't do that initially. I'm sure it does now, but I'm not leading a church day to day. And we would pay for those reports. And I found it so valuable and so surprising because you'd find that there are people whose names you didn't even know who started giving at a very sacrificial level to the church. It's like, wow, we got to get these people on our radar and thank them and and find out what their story is. And then there are other people who were longtime givers and you find out, oh, they got diagnosed with cancer. Or sometimes, you know what the number one answer is? They didn't even know that their bank had discontinued their automatic giving. And a quick phone call like, hey, just checking in. How's everything going? Uh, You know, someone Uh from the team, it's like, what do you mean we haven't given? I had no idea. And uh, that is a shocking common story for a lot of very generous people. What about, um, you know, I've taught a course on this uh, and, you know, prior to the pandemic, I've, I've led a remote company now for a number of years, right? This is a remote company. I'm at my house. The rest of the team is at their house, et cetera, et cetera. We've had to use Asana. We've had to use project management. We've had to use Slack, et cetera, et cetera, just to get us moving. Most churches hadn't started that until the pandemic. What is the level of, I call it workflow automation, because if you look at even, uh, uh, you know, wandering around the office style of leadership, it can be very chaotic. Nothing's written down. It's management by email or text message or phone call or knock on the door. It's totally random. It's not organized. Even for the broader software that has taken over the workplace, you know, with project management, communication tools, et cetera, et cetera. What is the state of the nation on that, Kenny? Yeah, I, I, there's, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, from all of my work I'm doing with Church Tech today, um, that audience is showing me that they're not, they're not thinking about workflows at all, for the most part. Um, they, they know it's there, but it, the, the learning curve is just seems too steep. And so that's one of the missions I have there is helping churches to build the perfect tech stack and making everything as accessible as possible. Not just talking to the nerds in the room who understand Mm -hmm. how to stack tools one on top of each other and do fancy things, but just really life-changing things. Like even for any anybody that meets regularly with congregation members, teaching them tools like Calendly or a calendar scheduling tool Mm -hmm. so that you don't have the back and forth, back and forth. Just imagine, you know, eliminating the one, two, three, five, ten emails that you go back and forth to try to schedule a meeting when you're doing not it available manually. Tuesday at two. What about Wednesday? Nope, doesn't work. But I can do Thursday. Thursday doesn't work for me. On and on and on. Seventeen threads later. Yes. Right. So there's just simple, simple things like that is life changing for a lot of people. Where yeah. if you could help them at their core daily workspace, what what they encounter on a daily basis, then they start to become open. To what else is there, right? And and that I think is the the part that you you want to figure out the what's in it for me, the with them, so yep. that you can start to get them to lean forward and be a little bit more curious. I like did the phrase you use tech stack. <laughs> That's yes. a cool phrase. If you had to, for an average size church, create your ideal tech stack, what would you recommend that they use and utilize? And by that I mean have but also really explore the potential. And let's not talk mega churches because at that point they've got all the tech stack and everything, but average budgets, you know, 200 or less people, what should be 
and let's say multi-staff because multi-staff makes it complicated. Yeah. So two to 500. What's the ideal tech stack? Yeah. So I think it's, it's, you start with collaboration. So it is, uh, our tool of choice is Google workspace, right? So right. it's email, Google docs. So you can share, you can collaborate together on presentations and slides and it's spreadsheets, et cetera, so that nothing is siloed in any one specific computer. That, that's the core concept. We don't want to silo things where it's dependent on Carrie being there to unlock the door to something, right? Or Kenny has this information, right? We don't want that to be the limiting factor. So that collaboration software is the, the first step. Um, mm -hmm. And then the second thing I think is communication tools, whether it be uh, email, texting, uh, even phone systems, right? Even today, we have, um, you know, cloud-based phone systems that really are affordable and actually cheaper than landlines. And so you have the, these ability um, to reroute calls when you're working from Starbucks or when you're working at home because everyone is a hybrid workplace in, in these days. You can have calls rerouted on demand. You can have multiple people, multiple people pick up the phone call. So that basic level of, you know, what do I do every day working um, and communicating with people? I think that's that's really important. And then starting to think about what are you going to do with one to many? How do you deal with your volunteers, with your congregation? And so that's where an email marketing platform is really important. You'd be surprised how many churches are still manually copy pasting everyone into the BCC line, Harry. Of their um, Gmail account. Yeah. Last yeah. last week even I had two 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 churches talk to me about that. And one of them said we have grown so large that we've I don't know what the max is, but there's a maximum number of people you can put into the BCC. So they're they're sending out three emails, three same the same exact emails three times. But he said the the weird part is they don't know exactly how many it is. So it's it's they have to cut and paste and cut and paste and try to figure out until Gmail lets them send it. And then they have to figure out where they cut off the list to go to the next one, right? So <laughs> that sounds so painful. It is painful, right? Oh. So when you can when you can solve that for a church leader, like it is life serving, it's life giving. So that's and Mailchimp, so it, Active Campaign. That's what we use. What are some other email server like clients? Um, I mean, there's there's a whole slew of them today. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Mailer Lite um, campaign. I mean, there's 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 a whole bunch. There's of a million. Them. I think any okay. of them. It, it, and one of these things, it's like the project manager software, which is the next category. Yeah. Uh, is I, I, I'm a little bit agnostic. I personally have favorites and I'm, I'm super opinionated at times, but the number, the best tool to use is the one that your entire team uses consistently. Fair, fair. So yep. it doesn't matter if how bad the tool is. You, If you all use it regularly, consistently across the board and you follow suit, that is the tool that's going to increase your productivity. And, the, and it's the 80-20 rule, right? You want to figure out how to remove all of that 80% of the junk by investing in 20% of the things that actually work. And so mm -hmm. if you, it's the consistency that you have to have, you need compliance, right? As you're, as a leader, yeah. a leader's responsibility in that regard for technology is compliance. You need to lead by example, and then somehow you need to incentivize compliance with the systems that you have actually chosen. Yeah. Um, okay. So project management is the next one, whether it be a basic Trello account that uses Kanban, like a little bit, it's like stacks of index cards visually on a, on a screen. Um, or you go into Asana 
uh, we our team uses Infinity or you know Basecamp. There's there's a whole bunch of them out there, um, and they're all pretty strong. Um, it really depends on compliance for those things. Um, and then the next one, uh, I guess it's almost the same. Some of these some of these tools have inter office communications, but you want to get out of email. That's the core concept there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a, a lot of a lot of churches right now are on Slack or Discord. Right. They are, you want to get out of texting threads and email threads. Mm -hmm. That is like, that's, that's danger. If if you are managing your work for an organization via email with revisions and files and documents, it's the same thing. Uh, You don't want something to be locked in Kenny's email account. And he's, you know, he's gone for a meeting for the afternoon or a conference or a vacation. He's unavailable and you need this document, you know, then then you're in trouble. So that's where I would start. And then after that, it starts to proliferate in, ter- in terms of like what other types of software that you go into. Mm-hmm. No, that's so helpful. We have a rule in our company that it is illegal to email a coworker, period. <laughs> and the reason we do that is, first of all, you can die by email. Secondly, it's for outside parties. So, you know, you don't work directly for me. If we're working on a project together for this podcast, and you're like, Carrie, I got some questions about the interview. You email me. I can then copy somebody on my team, but I can't initiate or projects or communication with someone from my team. That has to happen in Asana or where there's confusion, Slack, or in our weekly meetings, et cetera, but it has to live in Asana, live in Google Docs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That, what you just shared helpful. is so important. Your editor mm. should cut that clip. And repeat it three times in this podcast, so someone physically has to listen to it three times in a row. It's I, I mean, tell me, tell me about this workflow because I've taught it to leaders. We've used it for years, but we actually have, um, you know, everything lives in Asana. Files live on Dropbox, so they're shared. They're not stuck on someone's hard drive. So someone steals your computer, you drop it in the ocean. It's not the end of the world. You don't really lose anything. So that's just cloud-based computing. Okay. Uh, so we have that, but for communication, because it's so confusing because you're having one conversation by text, another by email, another by Slack, another in a sauna with comments, blah, blah, blah. It's like basically everything that isn't time bound should be done in a sauna or better yet, leave it for a weekly meeting. You've got a weekly meeting with the team. You've got a weekly meeting with your boss. If you want to, we just have a standing list. And what I used to do in the old days was I'd have an idea and I'd just message my EA or I'd message my project manager and say, hey, 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 hey. Now, if I'm like, okay, this doesn't need action today. I don't need to clog up Slack with it. I'm going to park it in our meeting. We're going to discuss it Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock when we meet. And then she brings a list, I bring a list, and we just go through the list. And half the time, it's a lot of back and forth. It's like, well, you want to do this on a Tuesday, but do you know that Tuesday you're in Boulder? I'm like, oh, no, I forgot. All right. Well, why don't we, okay, let's do it the following Thursday. When do I fly home then? Okay, we'll do it on Thursday. That's like five Slack messages or five emails saved. So basically, leave it for the weekly meeting. If it's time-bound and can be answered in a business day, then put it in Slack, and it's too complicated for Asana. Okay, so put it in Slack, and they will respond by the end of day. Not immediately, by the end of day. The next level is, okay, it can't wait for the end of day. At that point, you can shoot me a text. Like, if you need to interrupt this podcast, you can text me, and I'll get to it. All right, but that's sort of like an alarm bell. And then if it's a five-alarm emergency, call me. Do you know how few texts I get from coworkers? Almost none. 
How many phone calls? Like that is the house is on fire and we need to call 911. But it has reduced the friction in communication. And the other thing we say is if it's complicated or conflict-oriented, that has to be a face-to-face. So either in our weekly meeting or we jump on a quick Zoom and we sort it out because Slack messages aren't going to solve it. What is, how does that sound as a workflow? And that works remote or in person. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big proponent. I'm on, I'm on your team for that stuff. And mm. I'm also a fan of... Um, a methodology called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. Uh, oh, it's a great I know book. him, but I don't know that Clockwork. Yeah, tell me, so, tell me more um, about that. It it is his premise, and it's it's made for. He's written it for entrepreneurs, and basically that says you should be able to go on a four week vacation. I think like twelve or eighteen months from now, and your business should run better than you having you around, yes. right? And yes. so, um, but the only way to do that is to create SOPs. Standard operating procedures mm-hmm. to codify your work and to get all of your team members to do that hard work of doing it once so that it can be replicated and you have redundancy across the team. And one of the practices that I think really works well there is at the end of the day, every day, all team members should do these three T's. And one is identify things that you you did today that should go into the trash, T for trash. Like you sh- you shouldn't be doing this. Um, it's a waste of your time or it's the ROI is not there. Let's get rid of this. Take this off of your responsibilities. Second one is trim. You spent way too much time. Let's start to time box things or let's try to reduce how much energy you're putting against it. And the third one is transfer. Transfer is stuff that you should not be doing and you need to get it off your plate and either assign it to somebody, transfer, delegate, etc. cetera. Um, so those are the three things that if you are self-aware of the work that you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, you start to become much more efficient. And then you're leaning into that 80-20 principle that I was talking about, that you understand that mm. 20% of what you do really fuels 80% of the impact that you have in, in the work that you do in ministry. And so um, I've, I've just been a big fan of that type of methodology of standardizing, codifying, sharing, making it public so that your other team members know how to do things. Um, right. That, that to me is like one of those things that in today's day and age, you must master that type of thing in order to scale a ministry. Mm -hmm. So you and I are on the same page, but I'm thinking about former me. I'm thinking about the visionary listening. I'm thinking about the, the leader listening. Who's like, that's awesome, Kenny, but that's so exhausting. Like you guys have covered so much stuff in the last half hour. My brain is melting. If that was my job, I think I'd jump off a bridge. Like I, I am not into systems and structure. And that seems so antithetical to vision and communication. Well, what do you say to a resistor like that? Who doesn't want to codify or systematize the work that they're doing? Yeah, I would say you need to transfer that. You need to delegate that. You need to assign Mm. that to somebody else. You need a complement to your leadership. You need to be self-aware. So if you're self-aware, that complaint or that procrastination is happening where you're resistant to codifying stuff or standardizing stuff. Or right, like you said, if you're you're the leader that just likes to walk around and on a whim based on what you see and observe in the moment, react and get things done. Um, at least you're self-aware of that might be some of the positives of your leadership style. But then where can you complement that in your leadership suite? It, it's either an assistant or someone at a peer level. 
Um, those are the types of things that I think needs to be assigned to somebody if you want a healthy team. This is not just for you. This is really for your team. I think that's the that's the core thing. And again, I think at your best, you know, you've written a lot of about this. You've taught a lot about this stuff too. It's like trying to figure out all this stuff really is not, you're doing it selfishly for yourself, but really you're doing it for others. It is an act of generosity doing this stuff. Well, it's freedom, right? At the end of the day, it's a little bit of work that gives a lot of freedom. And if you don't have a system, what you have is confusion and confusion doesn't scale. Like it just doesn't. And once you systematize, and we're always systematizing here, but that allows us to work in different states, different countries, get a lot done. And one of the tough questions I get always is like, well, how do you get it all done? It's like, well, if you have a system, you can still have a life. And you, I get to focus on preparing for this interview, this conversation, not, you know, trying to diffuse whatever bomb went off 20 minutes ago, which is often what happens when you have confusion. Okay. You know, I really want to get into AI and I can't believe how quickly yes. the time has gone already. So let's just, let's just go there. And I don't know, you know, it's interesting because I send out this Friday newsletter, as you know, and whenever I send out something on AI, I get a collective yawn because I can see how many click through on the article. And it seems like, oh, church leaders, you're just not interested in AI. I, I doubt it. I mean, I'm sure we have some people who are, but we are seeing quantum leaps in technology. Let's not call it progress because there's a dark underbelly, but we're definitely seeing a quantum leap in technological improvement, advancement um, before our eyes. So let's sort of define AI. Let's talk about how it's showing up in everyday life. And then we can talk a little bit about where it's going. But what about, how would you define it? And where do you see it today? Yeah, AI has been all around us. Um, it's just been behind the scenes. What happened was there was a seismic event in November, 2022 in the fall. And that is this company called OpenAI created and unleashed this thing called ChatGPT. And at the fundamental level, it's basically taken all this brainiac machine learning, AI, the, like all this powerful stuff and added a layer of natural language processing. And so it just means you no longer need to be a nerd to work with AI. Um, you could talk in regular human speech, just like you and I are talking to each other. It understands it, you know, deciphers the intents, goes off and does its brainiac thing. And then comes back and then again, doesn't give you the results in like code or anything. It actually translates it back into English mm -hmm. or Spanish or Korean mm -hmm. or right? and it knows all the languages. And so it, that thing has been a game changer. And the, the reason why it's been a game changer is two things. One, accessibility. So all of a sudden it's been accessible, not to these specialists or these nerds, right? It now is accessible to anybody who just knows how to talk. And the second thing is that it's not vertical constraints, meaning it's not just for medicine. It's not just for, you know, um, accounting. It's for anything that has to do with language. And that means it's applicable to almost every single workflow that you have under the sun. It's remarkably intelligent, too, because, you know, if you have a little bit of an in internet footprint, like I'm using chat GPT for first drafts and prompts, et cetera, et cetera. But I have enough of an internet digital footprint that I can tell it, you know, create 20 questions to ask Kenny Jang on the Carrie Newhoff yep. leadership podcast in the style of Carrie Newhoff. It produces 20. Then I can be in the style of Tim Ferriss. 
Then I can be in the style of Ann Voskamp. Then I can be in the style of Ramit Sethi. You know, it's crazy. And it'll generate different questions. So it's like, it's nuts. And my team is taking it to whole new levels. I'm like, how are you getting all this stuff done? Like you're outwriting me. <laughs> and it's like, well, chat GPT and I had a great afternoon. I'm like, and it's good stuff. Now, the first draft isn't always good. And there's factual inaccuracies in it. But um, other thought, it's bigger than chat GPT. You're a Jasper user. Um, yeah. What are some of the other ways that you can integrate it into your workflow? Well, um, it's multimodal at this point. So meaning hmm. um, the first release is text-based. You put in text to the machine and text comes out. So anything that you can think of that's text-generated um, this this thing can use that, right? Now you're at the point where the inputs can be multimodal, meaning it could be uh, video, it could be images, it could be audio, it could be text, and then same thing on the output. It can be audio, it could be video, it can be text, it could be images. And so that is why we feel the acceleration and velocity that we have um, in this last couple of months, Carrie, in terms of innovations, right? I think in the last last month, over a thousand new AI startups were started in the last month alone. Um, and they're all tackling different use cases. And so what you're seeing is this explosion at the front end. This is much like when the internet was invented. Um, I'd like to say that it has captured the real essence of the word wonder. Back in the mm. day, I mean, many of, many of the audience here has never lived without an iPhone or never lived without the internet. But back in the day when the internet first came on, um, there was a sense of wonder that all of a sudden that you can be connected to anybody, to anywhere, you can learn about anything. And so this is the same thing that's happening today. Yeah, you know, I got the internet in 96, I remember. I mean, there were beta versions of it, but that's when I got email, to be honest. That was my first email address. And like, we didn't have servers or anything yeah. like that. So it could be carry at connexus dot whatever, right? Or carry at carrynewhoff.com. It wasn't that. I think my first address was carry at Planeteer was the local ISP, um, which was nuts. But I remember like we would get, I would get four emails a day and that was it. And then sometimes I'd get 10 because I think I've yeah. looked at the adoption rates. It was something like single digits were on email back in 1996. And it was dial up and it was blah, 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 blah. But the adoption was slow. And what's, what's surprising me about this is you're right. The inputs have changed in six months. It's like now it is multimodal. Now, you know, you look at what you can do with video, what you can do with audio. I've done my own. AI generated voice, which I haven't used. This is actually me, but just experimenting in the background. But that's going to change rapidly in the next 12 months. Like it's it's getting oh, it's exponentially it's, faster. It's it's early in 12 months. I'm challenging my team right now. I know we could do it today, but it's just because of you know how much work we have to do. I'm challenging my team today to build a podcast where I will not be present for any of the episodes. I will not be talking into a mic for any of the episodes of the podcast. And I'm challenging us to do that by the end of the summer. So let's let's go there. What are the upsides and what are the downsides? Like who's listening to fake Kenny Jang? Yeah, I, I think it's, again, it comes down to relationship, right? Once you establish your authority and your relevance to people and that you have some some sort of trust that's built into your audience, they just want more of you, right? Like I'll go back to the example of when we're talking about emailing. Everyone uh, thinks this is like very universal when you talk to organizations. 
They think that emailing their email list more than once every, whatever it is in their head Mm -hmm. is going to feel like spam to their audience. If they're on a rhythm of emailing once a month, they think that if you're going to send two emails a month, it's spam. If they're on a weekly basis, if you spend two a week, it's spam. But the truth is when you meet somebody for the first time, or you just heard Carrie Newhoff at a conference for the first time, you just want to consume anything and everything else because it's all solid gold, right? You, you resonate mm-hmm. with that person or that organization. And so it's the same thing here is that the AI generated version, as long as it is producing the same quality and value should not matter that much to the end, end recipient. Right. And so it, I think there's going to be a lot of people who push back on that, that you might get a lot of hate mail on this episode for this one little notion Um, But I do think that scaling your presence with AI is going to allow you to serve more audiences, build a larger community. And in the end, we're using technology to scale personal relationships. So I I agree with you and don't agree with you. So let's have some fun here. This will be fun, Kenny. Um, I mean, the technology exists right now that you could create a video show of you um, because it's getting so good now that the audio is almost indistinguishable. Seth Godin said, because I had an offline conversation with Seth, I don't think you'd mind me saying this because he's come out publicly uh, to say it, but he said his wife couldn't tell it wasn't him. Now, if Seth Godin's wife can't tell that that audio wasn't him and he did an entirely AI-generated episode of his podcast, Akimbo, so that's all out there, but he said his wife couldn't really tell the difference. I played my took 10 minutes to put together a clip from my wife. And she goes, oh, it sounded like you had a bad day. I'm like, well, that wasn't me. But I'm sure if I adjusted it or I had, you know, some smart people adjust it, it could yes. come pretty close to fooling close. the people who know me the best. And video is not that far behind, right? So for the record, this is a live conversation with real Kenny, real me. But let's say I've also got 1,500 blog posts I've written over the last decade. Seth Godin has, you know, thousands over many decades. He's got books galore. You've got tons of content in your Facebook groups, on your website, articles you've written. Let's say we fed old Kenny Jang content into an AI prompt and it produces a video of Kenny talking. What are the upsides and the downsides to that? Because you could argue, okay, that's kind of you. You wrote those words. That's your intonation. That's your persona. And again, the deep fakes are so good right now that it would be difficult to tell the difference between this, a real conversation between humans and an AI-generated conversation. So I want you to riff off that scenario. We take old Kenny content or new stuff you write and you just feed it into the prompt and boom, there comes video Kenny and audio Kenny with a new episode on YouTube or on a podcast. I guess in, in, in this type of conversation we've been having often, is what 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 you see happen the pattern that you're seeing is everyone gets locked in to a use case that is defeatable right mm-hmm. okay and instead of saying hey what if it was something else how might we use instead of saying hey replicating you with this method it's not going to work instead of and turning on the head in, in innovation circles we always use the how might we right how might mm-hmm. we use mm-hmm. ai cloning video and voice so that it actually, you know, uh, is indistinguishable yet serves the audience. Yeah. So there's, a, I think this is happening so rapidly 
um, that it's going to be six months, 12 months, et cetera. It reminds me of the days when I was a partner in a dot-com incubator. We used to measure mm. innovation iterations in dog years, right? Seven times a year, you would have these leapfrogs. And mm. that for me was, that's what's going on right now. Um, but you have to, you have to, and the reason why you have to keep pace with the evolving tech horizon right now is because there's seven iterations or resets, but not all of them are going to be resets, right? Sure. Some of them are going to be leapfrogs and that's why you need to stay ahead of this stuff. But, um, there's a tool that I just, I just tested out where they loaded, um, one of the persons I follow is Amy Porterfield. She oh, yeah. is a know, internet marketing yeah. um, guru and she, you know, teaches on the internet, has webinars, etc. She has a podcast with hundreds and hundreds of episodes. They loaded all of her podcasts into the AI. And now I have a conversational chat bot that allows me to ask any question about online marketing, her topic. And then it responds as if it is her, as well as gives me links to two or three episodes that are relevant, closest and relevant to that thing. I could see how in a couple months, they created a mid-journey avatar, a picture of her, and then, you know, animated it using DID or some other tool, and then creating, cloning her voice using, you know, Murph for Eleven Labs, and then instead of that chatbot coming back to me with that answer, she's telling it to me visually, audibly, you know, in that chatbot. So I kind of don't have a problem with that because that's Amy talking about Amy in her authentic voice. And actually, yeah. we are. I'd love to know, can you say what chatbot or what uh, AI that is that you've created? <laughs> you know, the Amy Ask Amy Anything? What, yeah. what uh, software so I, are you I using? Didn't, yeah, I, I didn't create it. It's, it's a platform called Searchy. Um, oh, it is that, Searchy. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We, we are looking at Search right now to use for our AI summit that's coming up. And that's one of the benefits that you you can create, put all this content in there and it starts to uh, be able to, you know, converse instead of just, you know, instead of sit and soak, yeah. you know, videos and content. Now you can have a more proactive interaction with the speakers and teachers, et cetera. Okay. So that's Stu McLaren from Toronto, yes. right? Yep. Searchy. So we're looking at um, integrating that into the Art of Leadership Academy, to consolidate all of our courses and also our public free stuff as well so that you can kind of ask Carrie anything. And then Seth Godin has a custom version uh, that he said a friend did for him where he now has an AI chatbot, but that'll be coming to market soon. So searchy. Okay, that's great. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, I want to take it a step further though, because I don't have a problem with that. Like, because we spend hours a week answering FAQs that come in yeah. from readers on email. And wouldn't it be great just to have a public facing, here's all of my work over the last 15 years, all public, type in, here comes video carry going, hey, you know what, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but let's take it further because you can now say, you can pose a hypothetical. What would Kenny Jang say about, let's say you've written nothing on the subject of Searchy, never done a podcast, never mentioned it, blah, blah, blah. You can now theoretically or soon type in a prompt that said, what would Kenny Jang say yeah. about Searchy and its yeah. implications for the destruction of humanity and uh, the future of the church? Boom. It creates this hypothesis, let's say a five-minute video script. Yeah, yes. You then generate that through 11 labs and some video thing. And all of a sudden, Kenny Jang is saying things that Kenny Jang didn't write and has never said before. Very yeah, plausible. I think that, 
that that is going to start to happen. I mean, you see uh-huh. it with ChatGPT, uh-huh. right? When you you do, it's called some of it's called hallucinations when it actually isn't correct. But there's mm-hmm. a different type of hallucination where you know that that is a risk of um, stewarding your own personal brand and and the responsibility of what you know who. Like I'm very nervous about that. I mean, what is your emotional reaction to that scenario? I'd just love to know. Like, would you be I, comfortable? I think, no, I don't. I will. I think you would need to test it extensively, right? So, yeah. I think the future yeah. of AI is it's going to be pervasive and it's going to be hyper personalized. But at the heart of everything is going to be this question of ethics. I agree. Our society, That's what I'm driving. Our culture is going to need to grapple with what our comfort level is now. We have avoided this question, ignored it, played uh, ostrich with a head in the sand with privacy and data as a culture. And mm-hmm. right. So anything that's free, we've learned that you are the product. You are being sold <laughs> with data. Mm-hmm. And that is an issue. Right. And so we're starting to come to re- that realization. The question right now is on the AI side, are we going to be just as slow or as quick or faster on this type of issue regarding AI and ethics. Um, I just saw an interview with Microsoft's um, CEO, Satya, and he was talking about why he's not as concerned about this type of stuff. And he said, because in this technology innovation front, the questions are coming much earlier at the start of the evolution of the technology. That Oh, then for social media, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. They're asking these hard questions now versus with social media. It's decades later, right? And so he's he's feeling optimistic about where we're going to end up, that we're going to have a lasso on it and control it a little bit more before it gets out of the before the genie's out of the bottle. Well, I kind of hope so, but I mean from a I'm thinking about all the leaders listening to this podcast. Like, you know, I think the soul to soul. We could imagine a scenario in which AI Carrie and AI Kenny do a parallel podcast in a parallel universe yeah. where uh, I'm not actually there. I might be sitting in my backyard mowing it or cooking yes. something on the big green egg. You're doing your favorite thing, yes. but we're having this fake conversation over there and it has its own audience. But what I worry about that is like what, what really what my brand in is, is trust. And if it has my name on it, I've thought about it. I've signed off on it. And if I start to break that trust with listeners, if I start to break that trust with leaders, and that's not really me, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine a world where that's cool. And what I really want to talk to, because I can read all your stuff, I can watch all your videos, I can join all your groups. I actually wanted to have a conversation with the real Kenny. I don't know that that is going away just in the way I think people want to be pastored by a real pastor. And if you're going to preach, they want to hear you and what you heard from God, not what some version of you may have heard or not heard or heard incorrectly. I don't know. Thoughts on that in the ethics of AI? Yeah. I, I, so there's a lot of people who just are trying to push the envelope with AI automation, get and get things out in the wild and do things where it's just, you know, set in and forget it. My, you know, um, my stance is you need, you always need a human in the loop. And if it's your representation, you need to really understand what, you know, what the boundaries are. And this is where I, I love this conversation more than some of the other conversations that might occur with AI, where AI is just set up as the big bad wolf, 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's a powerful tool for sure, but it requires responsible stewardship, right? And it does. AI is not devoid of ethics. It needs that conscious ethical programming use. And that's one of those things. One, they don't teach you in, that se- in seminary. They don't teach you that much in university. And so, but our culture needs this on a rapid basis. And so, Carrie, can the church be a leader in this area? That's one of the questions mm-hmm. I'm asking myself. Can we lead by example? Can we start to build standards and best practices where the marketplace secular culture points to use cases of standards of policy and stewardship and things like the attribution, all these things that we worry about? How do we become the models for the public square? I think this Mm -hmm. is a huge opportunity for us. I love that. I love that. I think that's a great, that is such a great point, Kenny, because I have been asking around, maybe not hard enough, so this could be 100% on me. Hey, who do I need to interview about the ethics of AI in the church space from a Christian perspective? And I'm hearing a lot of crickets. I've got a few guests coming up. But I was hoping I'd get 20 to choose from. Yeah. There's not a lot of people talking about this. And if you've got Sam Altman and Eric Schmidt and others signing manifestos and urging Congress to regulate and warning about the dangers of AI, where are the church leaders bending together? Not in some reactionary Luddite fashion, but in a thoughtful, intelligent, theological, like, because you can stick your head in the sand. AI's here, man. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like, so that's why we're exploring its ethical use. And I think you're advancing it as far as most of the leaders that I know, you are probably one of the earlier adopters on that frame, which is one of the reasons I was anxious to have this conversation. But I I couldn't agree more that we need to be trying to figure out like, what about, they're they're talking even in ChatGTP4, are are there signs of sentience? Like, is it a sentient being? It's, it's, that is a live conversation what does it mean to have other sentient beings? It's great. Singularity. Yeah, I, there's so much I, there. So much there. And I, I would say, hey, you, you, you graciously were talking about like, hey, I'm one of the, the voices here. It's, it's not me. Like my, and if you see what's oh, happening. Wait, you're it, telling me just, this is your AI? Sorry. <laughs> it, <laughs> Sorry, Kenny, I had, to, I had to do it. What do you mean it's not like you? When I was a church online pastor, right? Like if mm. you went to any church online pastor and say, hey, this is the way to do church online. This is the only way. You need to run because we're all learning together in any innovation front. And my bias is to go to community. Seth Godin, Seth has said that the internet's sweet spot is aggregating geographically distant people that have the same affinity, right? Pulling mm-hmm. like-minded people together for like causes. And that's why I started that Facebook group, which it's growing hundreds of, uh, you know, church leaders every week. I think convening those conversations, um, building a council, maybe this is what you and I need to do is start to build some roundtables of leaders Mm -hmm. in the church ecumenically to start to think through what actually, what are the challenges that not just we are facing in, in the church and ministry space and in our church buildings, but our neighbors our communities, our business owners, are the people that we actually are trying to pastor to. Because it's not just about the church. It's about all of humanity. I think that's the thing that we actually need to, um, yeah, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this is ground zero. Mm-hmm. This podcast is the beginning of that conversation. Maybe this is, maybe this is the uh, <laughs> clarion call. 
I don't know. But, you know, Kevin Kelly, who's been on this show and it was such a good conversation. He has a book he released a few years ago called The Inevitable. And I love that title. It's such a great title. It's like, guys, this is just where society is going. It's inevitable. And if you think about church online a decade ago when you did it at Liquid Church, it was inevitable. And you were the weird one. You were the, you know, person that's like, what? How is that even a thing? But that was inevitable. And now we're there. We're at over 90% of churches have some kind of meaningful online presence, which which was inevitable. COVID accelerated that greatly. We would have maybe got there by 2030, but we got there faster. And AI is inevitable. It's already here. The, the, the horse has left the stable. And I think the conversation needs to keep up with that. And and again, we've talked about some of the 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 you know dystopian possibilities about you know we can go into deep fakes, etc. What is the upside for church leaders? What is the some practical use like in your tech stack? How would you recommend using ChatGPT, Midjourney, Eleven Labs, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? What are yeah. what are some of the benefits? At the end of the day, I think the transition is great between these two topics. I think if you think of AI as a mirror, it reflects the brilliance of the creators, us as humans, right? Mm. And we also know that AI isn't going to replace the human touch, right? But it will amplify human potential. And Mm. that's something that I think if you take that to heart and see how your relationship starts to form with AI, um, it will be very telling with what you get out of it. So one of the best ways that I can coach someone starting to use AI for the first time like ChatGPT is don't look at it as a uh, push button vending machine, out pops a candy, and then you just open the wrapper and consume it as is, right? You need to think of it as a seminary intern, a seminary student intern. What would you do with that? You would never assign a seminary student intern that you just got. It's the first week on the job. Write me a sermon for the Sunday, and then you wait until Sunday morning, get the output, and just preach it as is. Would you? I would never do that. I don't know anyone who would. And yet, that's what we're talking about. So what you, what you would do is you would review it, and then you would mm-hmm. sit down with the intern and says, hey, actually the culture or the theology of our ministry leans this way. Can you go back and use these resources and rework this section? Or this, this argument seems a little bit weak or it's not really contextually relevant to our people in our community, can you try to brainstorm a couple of other, um, you know, other examples? You would go back and forth, right? It's called a conversational chatbot for a reason. It wants a conversation. And so you have to have that iterative approach back and forth, back and forth to pull out something that's really valuable and meaningful. So when I hear from some church leaders, like there are church leaders that join our group and say, hey, we tried ChatGPT, it doesn't work. There's no way I'm going to pay the 20 bucks for the plus version. And honestly, it's it comes down to a Zoom screen share session and say, hey, let's just try using it together. And usually it's that single push button. They want that big staples easy button. I'm just going to put in one short sentence and then out comes an output and I'm going to judge it based on that. And you would never have a seminary intern then, right? Mm-hmm. You would fire mm-hmm. them all on first glance. Um, the ones who understand how to, again, in that, you want to push that analogy further. The ones that have robust internship programs, the ones that are thriving ministries are the ones that are working with interns, direct reports, volunteers, back and forth, back and forth, working it through together. And so yeah. that's, that would be the biggest advice I can give anybody starting out with ChatGPT, Jasper, or anything else. 
Do you have a go-to, I mean, Google's there and you can go all over, but do you have some reliable voices or reliable sources that help you navigate how to use chat GPT? Because I agree, it's like create a sermon on justice and kindness, you know, and it's really vanilla. Like I would never preach it in a million years. On the other hand, for brainstorming, it's given me ideas I never would have had. And you can massage it and say, well, do it this way or do it that way. You're right. It it is. But like all of us are self-taught right now. So do you have reliable voices or reliable sources that you're looking to, to help you find a few shortcuts or a deeper understanding on how to use AI? Yeah, I, I mean, again, it goes back to our other, you know, go-to tool. It's Google, right? And so mm-hmm. there, are, there's mm-hmm. so many people writing about AI. You and I uh, co-authored an article, um, the we ultimate did? guide to AI and pastors. That's that's a very good read, I think, just to start square one. Um, I published a book called Unlock the Power of AI. That's being published on churchtechtoday.com, and it'll be on Amazon soon. So there's there there are leaders talking about AI. Um, and then I think it's events and conferences, right? And so mm-hmm. right now there aren't that many um, church or ministry specific con- conferences, but like, for example, February, I went to the Gen AI conference in Silicon Valley. In July, I'm going to MyCon in Cleveland, which is the marketing AI conference. They've been doing it for over like five or six years in a mm. row. It, it's not a new thing. Um, the AI summit in New York. So there's all these business places that you can actually learn from. And then Hey, TikTok, one of these things about TikTok is one of the, I think one of the healthy ways of using TikTok is, or other social media platforms is for learning. So find Mm -hmm. hashtags, find people who experts follow, look, you know, find those little cohorts and follow them. So, you know, on TikTok, I would say I'm following um, a woman named Allie Miller, uh, Justin Feinberg, and Rachel Woods. Uh, those are three great voices to follow. Uh, I'm sure we yeah. can give the links in the show we'll notes. We'll link to all that in the show notes, um, plus our ultimate guide to AI and the church yeah. or pastors, whatever we called it in the end. I really appreciated your work and, on And that. then your leadership academy. You need to find mm. communities of like-minded people in your vocation, in your lane. And so yeah. your leadership academy, we've had great discussion forum threads there. Those are the types of things that I think you need to seek out as a church leader. Find other places where your peers are that have the same interest. The AI for Church Leaders, that's a shameless plug. AI for Church Leaders.com mm-hmm. Facebook group that we started, another great place to have that thing. We're going to have an online summit soon. But those are those things. AI learning, it could be very intimidating, but you need to move mm-hmm. from intimidation to like learning to become an innovator yourself. You need to figure mm-hmm. out how to get out of that in- intimidation square on the on the you know um, the chessboard and move forward into some other place. Hmm. Kenny, this has been such a, such a breath. I'm like, holy cow, we need, we need like the show notes. It's a good thing we have show notes. It's a good thing we have transcripts. So maybe you and I need to do the course, the art of technology or something like that. It's just, it's one of those things, Kenny, where I realize at the end of an hour and a quarter talking about this, it can feel so intimidating. On the other hand, if you really want to reach people, And you really want to create a great work environment that actually ministers to people where they're at and creates a great culture for your staff. These are what we're talking about is kind of table stakes today. It's just this is this is what you have to do, I think, to have a ministry that actually connects with the culture. This is the hidden infrastructure. This is the not even dark underbelly, it's just the the undergirding 
that makes what you do possible, what I do possible, and what a lot of effective organizations and ministries, what what's makes it possible today. You know, in the same way that great farm equipment was awesome in the 18th century. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, the farmers I know now are not pushing, you know, wagons that you remember when you were a child in your storybook. I mean, they've got half million dollar tractors, million dollar tractors and combines and the whole deal, right? There's an infrastructure if you're going to farm. There's an infrastructure if you want to lead. And I think you're so, so great at leading us there. Is there anything, is there anything Kenny, that we haven't talked about that you think we should talk about before we wrap up? I, I think it's that that last sentiment. Like there's a fear that people have and there's this phrase, it's no longer about FOMO, it's about FOLO, F-O-L-O, fear of looming obsolescence. And I think <laughs> That's the good. bottom line that. is, right? Here's the, here's the cliff note version of that conversation thread is that AI is not a job ender. It's a job evolver. And mm. if you're not obsessing or thinking about how you could use AI to improve your work, extend your work and, and create bigger impact, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to someone who is thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not embracing AI isn't playing it safe. It's basically stalling the future. And mm. so this is just one of the things that everyone's in the same boat right now. So this is just, it's, it's, it's a very unique cultural moment that, hey, no matter how behind the eight ball you feel right now, the, the, the most advanced people have only been doing this since November. It's not mm. a long time. You don't have that much to catch up. And there are people that, are, that want to do it together. And so, please, this is just one of those things that this is the time to get on the bandwagon and you'll see the future is bright. Uh, the Holy Spirit works in pixels. That's my last <laughs> end of the, the Holy Spirit works there you in pixels. And let's be a part Boom. of it. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. The other thing I think to having led a church for 20 years is if you're not at least conversant, if not using technology like AI, your church is. The people you serve, the people you reach is, are, I should say, you want to reach are. And then you end up with this gap between how you live and lead and how your church lives and lead and it leads. And you will be unable to really identify with their world, connect with their world. And it's not like you got to be at the cutting edge, but if you're a Luddite and you're way behind, and there is that that picture of the inevitable, I'm sure you've seen it, but there's that picture of New York City in 1903, and it's all horse and wagons and then horse and buggies and two Model Ts. Oh, yes. Same intersection in 2013. I it's can. all Model Ts and cars and two horse and buggies. And that's a decade. And I often ask myself, you know, what would it have been like to be a blacksmith in that era? Because you're like, well, horses always need shoed. And, you know, it's like, well, not anymore. It becomes this specialty and society just changes, right? And irrelevance is the gap between how quickly you change and how quickly things change. So this has been challenging for me. It's been breathtaking. Kenny, if people want to track with you online, where can they find you and direct us to some of, like you're all over the place. So just direct us to a few of your favorite (laughs) channels. You literally are all over the place. Google knows my name. So if you Google my name, Kenny Jang, you'll find me. Um, The two places that might be relevant to this conversation, again, is AIforchurchleaders.com. Again, it's, you won't meet me. You'll meet 2,000, 3,000 other friends. That's what you're going to be doing there. 
And then, um, you know, we published at churchtechtoday.com a lot of stuff about your church tech stack, but AI in particular in this next season. And it's just one last call to action, Carrie. I think it's, you know, you just got to start using it daily. There's no reason to be intimidated. Just start using it daily. And remember what I said earlier, think of it as a seminary student intern. Isn't it time that you just get an intern or two to help you with your work? Just think of it that way. Yeah, and you can get the free version or 20 bucks a month. I pay my intern 20 bucks a month and it's well worth it. So we have have a positive attitude. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Every single time. (laughs) You got it. Kenny, you're a gift to so many, including me. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah, and we did get anchored, didn't we? Man, it was fun to do this little mini series on AI. I hope to do more of those in the future, just maybe once or twice a year, a series on a burning topic where we can go deeper than you can in a one hour or even a three hour interview, get a multiplicity of voices around the table and away we go. So if you enjoyed this, well, first of all, subscribe if you haven't done that. And secondly, please share it with friends. When you do that, this gives us permission to keep going. That's how this works. So share it on social, shout out to our guests, uh, text it to a friend, whatever you need to do, but let people know if you really enjoyed this and let us know too. We really appreciate you and we hope this serves you well. I want to thank our partner, Outreach and Glue. The great Christmas invite is on. You're going to save a pile of money if you go to outreach.com slash great Christmas invite to learn more. That's 50% on digital and physical assets. You're probably already buying them for your church. Go to outreach.com slash great Christmas invite to learn more. Next episode, back to our regular format. We've got Louis Giglio in the house, and we're going to talk about the future church, Asbury, the paradigm shift that's coming in church, how to know when to go off script or stay on script in ministry, and filling the hole that high achievement can't fill. Here's an excerpt. I don't think it was revival necessarily, and I don't think Asbury ever called it revival. I think they were actually very careful not to call it revival. And um, what it was was hunger. It was mm. hunger. It mm. was hunger. And I, the things I will remember about Asbury were somewhere around, I don't know, I can't remember the time. Let's just say it was 12.45 a.m. Uh, grandma and granddad coming in. 80, both of them. Mm. Uh, he had a cane, uh, she's on his arm, and they're just shuffling down the aisle to about 10 rows down, take their seats. They stay, I don't know, I don't watch them that carefully. They probably stay an hour. And I leaned over to a friend of mine and I said, I've lived a long time and I've seen a lot of things happen in church before, in the church building before. I've never seen a senior adult couple shuffle into church at 12.45 a.m. on a weeknight. (laughs) Never one time. They were hungry. They came. Also coming up in the remaining episodes of this year, John Burke, Russell Moore, Kyle Eidelman and I. Wow. Um, That was a great one. William Vanderblumen, Grant and Cheyenne Skeldon, and a whole lot more. And if you're like me, you're always looking for ways to stay informed. And if you haven't yet done that, I put something together. I started it earlier this year called the On the Rise newsletter. And what that does, it's a curated newsletter I send out. It's pretty short every Friday. And it's got maybe half a dozen links to things that I think really matter. I bring you what I think is the best content I could find from around the web, my personal commentary on insights. And it's a great way to really expand your research because let's face it, 
Information is infinite. How do you know where the good stuff is? That's why I started On The Rise. It's my most opened, most read newsletter. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com and you can get started today for free. Uh, Easy to subscribe, easy to unsubscribe. Join the over 100,000 leaders who look forward to it every single Friday. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Man, it's a joy to do this with you. And I hope our time together today has helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.